Welcome to Futures Forum, mind-sharing ideas, innovations, and best practices. Hosted by StoryCraft Lab in partnership with Hub. This episode is about gamification of content. For this conversation, we gathered industry experts from Intel, Hub, Fruition, Opus Agency, Convoke, Collective Future, Gallagher & Associates, and Marriott International. Let's talk about the lens of right now versus future. How do innovations and frameworks shift in response to unprecedented challenges? And why should we be hopeful about the future? (laughs) Um, That's a huge question. (laughs) I think that's what everyone's really grappling with and, you know, kind of struggling with right now is trying to understand how do you think about the future in a context where everything seems to have changed um, and where, you know, nothing seems certain. I think that it's a time of great uncertainty, which also breeds so much creativity and possibility. You know, people have different timescales in which they're able to deal with some of these questions. You know, there are certain like basic elements of, um, of survival and, you know, safety and things like that that has to be dealt with. And then you can start to think about some of these higher level orders of ideas. And I think that's true for not just us as individuals, but also in terms of organizations, um, you know, the organizations that we work with and for. And so I would really invite that conversation as well, because I'm really curious to hear where people are in their own thinking in relation to, you know, this idea of future. So for us, we tended to go further out into the five, 10 year mark. Um, and I think that's actually more critical than ever. But I also recognize that there's a lot of fires that people are trying to put out. But having said that, you know, once things begin to settle, um, I think that the immediate next question is now what? I always say, you know, the future isn't a place, it's a process. It's interesting. So the the right now is really reactive. Uh, We're dealing with internal gaps that we had, such as virtual environments for externally facing events, right? So we didn't have them. They didn't exist. So there's efforts underway. It's kind of a diving catch or repositioning some of our internal platforms. And then there's the whole processes because virtual events really weren't appealing to a lot of our marketing folks, right? However, our internal um, training, you know, uh, we leverage it heavily. So there's a lot of that that's happening. But to, to, to the point that Ronnie was making, with the transformation effort that was underway pre-COVID-19, we saw the need for this, uh, a, an event strategist, event architect role and we've actually created those. Now, what we're doing is we're trying to frame up the actual um, scopes within that. Do, do, do the architects and strategists work event to event, or do they actually take that vision of that one five, 10-year outlook in that industry for those event types, right? And the markets that they're trying to serve. And that's an active internal dialogue right now as part of the transformation efforts. I think if there's one thing about meetings professionals, um, it's that we've always had to respond to emergencies and be agile. So thank God for all the training, (laughs) you know, throughout our careers. Back in 2008, when everyone said virtual was happening, the platforms really haven't evolved over the last 12 years. And so I think people are worried about, in-person events continued to happen because of that human connection element. And 
So I've been gaining a lot of inspiration from these conversations, just talking about how do we look at continuing that human to human connection, even if it is virtual. So I think we really have to think about the goals and objectives of why we were hosting events in the first place. <clears throat> and we all know that webinars weren't the number one tool that marketing had as a, a source of lead gen or sales pipeline movement. And so I think it's a challenge for us to really think about how do we recreate that in-person experience combined with content in a way that's meaningful for our organizations. I spend almost all day, every day on the phone with a variety of different customers, mainly in corporate high tech. And I think everyone's trying to figure that out right now. And for the next month, uh, probably maybe a little bit longer, you know, what does the attention span actually look like? Like, what can we actually do in the next month that would help us to move business forward? Because literally teams are being changed overnight and they're being reduced from 10 to one. I think it is something that we have to really think about how do we set a long-term course and think about what we want to use this time for, for really innovating and thinking about how to change events and that human connection. But I think it's also short-term in terms of really figuring out what's achievable and how we try to make up for some of that lost marketing momentum inside of events as well. What's going to be extremely important is, is our notion of emotional intelligence over the next, you know, in, in the short short, mid, and long-term. We're going to enter a phase where we have we have the brave and we have the not brave. And the brave are the ones that are going to, that are going to want to meet and face-to-face, -face, and you're going to have the non-brave that still, no, I'm still scared to go out there. So the transformation, of, the transformation is going to be in the engagement about how we are able to bring those that are wanting to go to the live, but those that are still floating out there, still aren't willing to you know, tip their toe in the water yet because, you know, is is COVID going to be present in a hotel room or is it going to be present in a meeting room? And those, so I think, uh, I think the, the really knowing where our attendees are on that emotional level. So I just really think that uh, really knowing our attendees on that deeper level is going to be so critical over the next short term. That's right. It kind of comes yeah. back to um, to Ronnie's comment about the the process nature of the future, right? And then my overlay to that is thinking about how we use empathy during that time to really get to understand the mind frames of our uh, participants and attendees and look at those hybrid scenarios, right? So this yeah. kind of comes back to right now. Uh, to get business done, we're looking entirely virtual. Then we've got that kind of three-month point on the timeline where we're looking at, you know, kind of helping people along to feel comfortable. Um, and then once, you know, we find our feet again and the, the needle tips towards more people comfortable than not, still I think we're looking to how we connect both virtual and live participants at events in a meaningful way. Esports events are this really unique blend of the live and virtual. How have you seen esports brands approach the attendees so that both types of participation are integrated and inclusive? It's a really interesting time for us, kind of being in the gaming and esports space. Um, we went from being pretty much virtual only for the last, you know, since the 80s, uh, 70s, when gaming really picked up to in the last three years, tipping into the mainstream and um, seeing a lot of IRL events uh, that are quote unquote mainstream, seeing 
Overwatch League on uh, ESPN or turn, you know, seeing the League of Legends World Championship Series featured on, you know, the front page of um, the British news broadcast. It's pretty crazy. But the, I think the key takeaway for us is we started in a virtual area, which is really cool. We were online all the time and we had all this amazing technology over the past five, 10 years, which allowed us to create events with a digital only presence. So the biggest of those is going to be streaming. The, the rise of live streaming from Twitch and Mixer has been huge. But the cool part is we have these integrated IRL and digital events. So when you look at the top tier professional gaming events, they, they take place in a physical location. They have people come. It's very much very similar to a music festival atmosphere there. But the entire live event is built with the purpose of being broadcast. And that's because the gaming audience still is mostly digital. So you can take the uh, world of uh, League of Legends World Championships. It's the biggest esport that exists. Uh, you look at their World Championship series and you'll have, you know, maybe tops 100,000 people come and attend the championship series in stadiums but you look at the broadcast they're reaching 100 million people or higher throughout the world championship series with these broadcasts so it's really this idea of building a digital first ecosystem and then using those sparingly using those in real life events to really have a culminating marquee moment there and it's a model that's worked really well for us and is only continuing to grow so the technology underlining it is huge and i think there's a lot of opportunity in the future to build off what Gary said, I think this, is, this has been my thesis all along coming, straddling the experiential marketing, content branding, and then now business events, meetings and events world, um, is the XM sort of looks at live events as a production spend for digital assets in the same way that gaming and esports does. The, the only difference is in gaming and esports, it's IRT, IRL. In the XM world, it's stuff is built and, and intentionally meant to be repurposed for a whole slate of creative assets and content that will be used after the event to amplify and extend the lifespan of the event across a digital space. So when I got into sort of the, the more hardcore business event space and I saw like the, the idea of digital capture of an event was, was really, really poor quality. It was a talking head on a terrible looking background, way too long, no edits, terrible lighting. And I've sort of been um, voicing that, you know, you guys are, are really squandering a tremendous amount of valuable and monetizable IP from not thinking broadcast first in your live events. So it's, it's really parallel to what Gary's saying, except that like, these are things we can capture, own and use later as chopped up pieces of, of, of content. And I feel like that is going to help the, the meetings and events space bridge the gap, whether they're internally facing or externally facing, to just upgrade the quality and the, the sizing of the content. You know, don't release an entire hour long keynote. It's too long. No one's going to watch it. Chop it up, make it snackable. I hate that word, but I used it. Um, caption it, edit it, put some cool graphics, make it shareable. These are, are pieces of knowledge that then can be disseminated to, again, the hundreds of millions that Gary's talking about 
Um, so it's a similar approach, just a different timeline in how we use this digital content. How are physical and digital experiences integrated in immersive environments, and how might that be extended to virtual participation? So I think exhibitions and experiences within museums have some different expectations than events and meetings, right? So it's not grossly different. It's not wildly different. But I think that there, um, there are expectations around, for instance, family group participation and that audience groups might be formed um, out of like school groups and families and mixed age groups um, as opposed to people coming with like a specific interest background um, or a specific professional background. Most museums operate with an angle to encourage family interactions with things. And so that becomes really tricky when, if we live in a world where physical proximity to each other might induce anxiety and tactile interactions might induce anxiety and a world where even if something is not tactile manipulatable or analog, we often substitute to screens, right? And so they're touch screens. So that's another tactile. So I don't think we have any concrete answers yet, but I do think it's something that we're thinking about for museum environments, about what, what does it look like if we don't want people to feel afraid? How can we encourage people to, to cluster in a productive way? Because most of our experiences are meant to be communal, with the exception of perhaps like, you know, high art, fine art museums, most museums are engaging clusters of groups, clusters of visitors. So I don't know, I don't have answers, but it's definitely a concern because the very nature of the type of experiences we create really involves interaction. Yeah, I mean, I think right now we think at slightly different scales um, in terms of the balance of that sort of nearer term, longer term strategizing where I sit, it's all longer term right now. It's all two years and plus, right? There's other folks who are handling like the interim and systems things. Everything is about what will be, and two years is our estimate for like when it's, it's responsible to start saying like we're past COVID hard realities, right? And two years and beyond, we, we just go with the working assumption that it will be as it is now. That what's happening is that there's an acceleration in the adoption of, of all kinds of digital practices like this among folks who would not be adopting them at this pace. None of them are new necessarily. Like when you talk about esports being a digital first broadcast first, that makes a lot of sense for an event like that. And it is relatively new there, but that's what the Super Bowl has been for a long time. Like this is about a reapplication of acceleration in corners and towards audiences that maybe haven't been at the front of the curve here. And so like one thought experiment we talk about when, when I talk to folks about this, like, well, what if what we're going through now wasn't caused by a virus? What if it was like some great international holiday so that you didn't have the like terrible dimension to it? You just had the behavioral aspect of it, right? And you're going to imagine this holiday is going to go on and on and on. So think about like what that behavioral stuff implies. It implies that like everything that we do on the physical experience side comes with as the pressure to be as accessible digitally in the way that esports are as as everything else and at the end of the day um for us it 
it's a it's a plus because as Claire was saying, like everything we do is about communal experience and shared experience. Um, and any way that people are clawing at getting more shared experience is better for us. So if they're trying to do it digitally, that's better for us. If they're trying to do it physically, that's better for us. The more behaviors there are in our audiences where they're trying to reach each other, the the better it is for us. And and that is real important because when you're talking about cultural institutions, lots of people don't want to go have that shared experience. Going to a cultural institution, going to an experience like that requires either cultural literacy or bravery. And for a lot of people, it's very uncomfortable. So it is similar to this moment that we're in now because people don't want to go, right? But they're getting comfortable with these kinds of tools. They're getting comfortable with these kinds of forms, these kinds of digital shared connections. And we hope that that's a way for those folks who would never step into our doors in real life to step into our doors digitally and then step into our doors in real life. So, you know, it's a catalyst and we just think about not trying to waste the crisis of it. Um, and what can we do? I don't know what we do to get ahead of it. Just right now, try and get our arms around making the most of it. And I think just to add on to that, because I think my gut answer started to be around our audiences. But I also think that another aspect of the futures of this actually has to do with how we work, you know, and so what Michael was talking about, you know, we get people in the door virtually and that's a stepping stone to getting them in, in the door physically. I think in the same way, we're, we are being thrust into scenarios right now where we are collaborating virtually using tools that we kind of, we put aside because the learning curve might have we might have felt like that was too much we had that same anxiety about getting into it i think you know before and we are now diving head first into new collaborative tools that actually are going to probably change the very nature of what it is that we create too and we're not going back right like i'd love to get into a room and wipe over claire as soon as humanly possible but i don't expect that's going to happen for six months maybe or more, yeah. and we're not that far away. And and we're not gonna go back to the reality from before. And so we don't expect our visitors, our attendees to go back to their realities either. We assume that everything that happens now is behaviorally a, a buildup on top of what people are doing now. Hopefully minus the fear. How are you preparing your attendees for virtual experiences? And everything that we're learning in this moment is incredibly valuable and we will put to use. But for me, how I've started to position this with clients and how I've shifted teams to think about this internally is to stop focusing on creating virtual events. And in fact, remove the word event altogether because to me, we're all focused here on experiences, right? Several of you are experienced designers, come from this background of experience architecture. We all celebrate that notion and that idea. And if we eliminate the word event from it and instead focus on experiences and even eliminate the words virtual or digital, because I find those rather limiting as well. Instead, what I'm focused on are remote experiences. How am I helping audiences experience a brand in their own remote environments right now? And so how can I still appeal to all of your sort of senses of well-being from a cognitive standpoint, from a physical standpoint, emotional standpoint, social standpoint, now within this space? but with a whole new vocabulary in the way that we're approaching this. And so to sort of answer your question of how we'll take that forward, 
I don't know. But what I do know is that we are asking so many new and exciting questions in this process by opening the door up to brand new vocabulary that we're using that ultimately will come to some pretty exciting solutions that will bring to market at a much more accelerated pace, right? Because that sense of urgency is there surrounding all of this, this attention from a larger community. And that ultimately is what drives innovation. It is when we, as a community, bring this expertise to the table that we work to actually bring innovation to market much faster. And that's something that will change us forever in the way that we work. It's wonderful to hear you kind of reaffirm that we're still thinking like experienced designers. What makes us you know, experienced designers that are focused on that human experience that it still holds true. It's still applicable. It's like thinking about um, the kind of distributed work model, right? Rather than kind of being sat next to one another. There are still practices and points of view that hold. And Ali, you know, I know that this is something that we've been thinking about. And, um, you know, I think next week we'll show a little bit more of what we've been working on. But, you know, what does the virtual conference look like? And as we look at the touch points, within a virtual conference experience, you know what, there's, there's a lot of the same things that we're thinking about, how humans experience um, the way that they connect with one another and, and learn. <laughs> I really liked what Justin said, Naomi, about um, removing the word virtual or event and just thinking about them as experiences because I find that that's, um, that's where people will get traction, right? When we talk about someone wanting to actually participate and do something, you just set up another webinar with here's five sessions in our virtual event and no one cares. But if they heard this is an experience, this is what it means to you, and this is why you can really learn or grow in a remote environment, then all of a sudden it does pertain to them and they wanna participate. So I, I really like that, that thought process there. What are the best practices for gamification at conventions, conferences, or activations? Now, if you look at what gamification can be defined as, the Interaction Design Foundation defines it as being kind of interactivity, essentially tailored to a specific audience. And we had looked at different learning types uh, as a way of preparing attendees to make the most of their experience. And I think in many ways where, Claire, you had raised this point on the sidebar in the comments here um, around kind of preparing people ahead of time in a post-COVID-19 world to kind of make the most out of their experience. But I think that's something on the content side as we think about interactivity and gamification of content that we've been doing naturally anyway, you know, understanding that we have to help people make the most of this interactive. You need the instructions or make the most of kind of navigating this experience. Naomi, I think, I truly think that's what, one of the keys in order to be successful in doing that is, and I'll go back to the emotions aspect, is, you know, we're forced now into environments where we're isolated. And as Justin said, that we're remote, okay? So we're looking through we're looking through a medium into each other's eyes. There's still that kind of barrier there, even though we can physically see each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how are we using, how can we use gamification and the whole digital aspects and everything to really truly emotionally touch someone like a, like a major motion picture does. Okay. You know, 
a big love story or a big something that really moves people emotionally uh, that helps to really. So I think I think that experience design is going to have to go to that deeper level of touching people in ways that we traditionally haven't touched people before through, you know, a present a standard presentation where somebody gets there and shows PowerPoints and those kinds of things. Right. How do you break that plane? <laughs> so that the touching is emotional as opposed to physical. All right, folks. Well, okay, we've reached time. Thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. It's great. Thank you, Naomi. Naomi. Everybody's face. Thanks, Naomi. Bye, everybody. Good job. Bye. 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 Bye.